are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, Operations Manager of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Happy spring, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Happy spring. This is episode 52 of Lighthearted and is being posted on March 23rd, 2020. March 23rd is the birthday of the great American author Edwin O'Connor, who wrote The Last Hurrah and won a Pulitzer Prize for his novel The Edge of Sadness. In The Edge of Sadness, he wrote, quote, each morning brings its own renewal of the battle, unquote. I'd say that's a sentiment that lighthouse preservationists are familiar with. Since we started this podcast last June, we've talked about many lighthouses, and we've also touched on the subjects of lightships and life-saving stations. But one subject we haven't talked about before now is lighthouse tenders. Tenders were the vessels that carried supplies to lighthouses and lightships and their keepers and crews. Today we're going to focus on a wonderful preservation project, the Tender Lilac, and our guest will be Mary Habstrit, Museum Director and President of the Lilac Preservation Project. But first, please help tell our listeners more about Lighthouse Tenders and the Lilac, Cindy. Sure, Jeremy. Lighthouse tenders were specifically designed to maintain, support, or tend to lighthouses or lightships by providing supplies, fuel, mail, and transportation. The first American lighthouse tender was the 1831 revenue cutter Rushnorder, which was converted into use as a tender in 1840. The first steam-powered tender was the Shoebrick, completed in 1857 and put into service on the West Coast in 1858. A good source on the subject of lighthouse tenders is the book United States Lighthouse Service Tenders, 1840-1939 by Douglas Peterson. Let me read from the introduction. Quote, They were the forgotten fleet of the federal government. They did their jobs with little or no fanfare, but they did it well and consistently to the highest standards and established traditions which are still upheld today. While very little has been documented about these ships, they were the lifeline for lighthouses and lightships and essential to the support and maintenance of the aids to navigation system. And those aids guided the merchant ships and navies, which were the lifeblood and security of our growing nation." In the late 1800s and early 1900s, lighthouse tenders and workships were named for flowers, shrubs, and trees. George Putnam, Commissioner of Lighthouses, was present when the tender Lilac was launched in Wilmington, Delaware in 1933. Lilac, 174.5 feet long with a 32-foot beam, was built to be extremely stable and is equipped with a steam-powered boom that could lift buoys weighing 14 tons or more. Lilac was assigned to the 4th Lighthouse District, covering Delaware Bay and its approaches north to Trenton, New Jersey. In 1939, the Lighthouse Service was dissolved and responsibility for aids to navigation was transferred to the U.S. Coast Guard. Lilac became a Coast Guard cutter until it was decommissioned in 1972. The ship was donated by the Coast Guard to the Seafarers International Union and it became dormitory and classroom space at a school of seamanship in Maryland. It was then privately owned for a while beginning in 1984. It was sold in 2003 to the Tug Pegasus Preservation Project, which served as the temporary steward until the Lilac Preservation Project was formed. 
After $250,000 worth of work in Virginia, Lilac was towed to New York City and moved to a berth at Pier 40 in Hudson River Park on New Year's Eve 2003. In May 2011, Lilac was moved downtown to the rebuilt Pier 25 in the Tribeca section of the park. The ship is now open to the public on a regular basis. Mary Hapstritt is the museum director and president for the Lilac Preservation Project. She oversees all the activities of the historic museum ship, including restoration and fundraising. She is also the founder of the Historic Ships Coalition, an alliance of owners, operators, and advocates of historic vessels that berth in, or would like to berth in, New York City. Mary is also a past president of the North River Historic Ship Society and past president of the Society for Industrial Archaeology. She also works as a freelance historical consultant, interpreting and telling the stories of America's manufacturing and engineering past. In January, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mary Habstritt about the Lilac Preservation Project. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am on the phone with Mary Habstritt, Museum Director and President for the Lilac Preservation Project. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mary. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. First of all, let me ask you, what led you to become involved with the Tender Lilac? How did that come about? My ex-husband is the founder of the nonprofit, and I'd hear him come home at night tearing out his hair (laughs) about um, the management that um, he had in place at the time. And I had started offering to help out as a volunteer with public relations Uh, because I had some experience in advocacy and speaking um, at city council hearings and the like. And um, eventually they had to fire him and I said I would do it. And that's kind of how it happened. But I have previous interest and experience in industrial history, particularly. Uh, My husband and I actually met at an industrial history conference. So I was interested in the fact that it's the only Lighthouse tenders still to survive with its original steam engines. Um, I would not be working on a historic sailing ship. I'm interested in the machinery. I would say the you know the general public is certainly uh, pretty aware aware of lighthouses and and uh, I think a lot of people are also aware of lightships and maybe even life saving stations to some degree. I don't think a whole lot of people are aware of lighthouse tenders. Right. What what would you like to tell people if you could tell them what would you like to tell them about tenders? There's the the basics that you think most people uh, should know about lighthouse tenders. Well, lighthouse tenders are really what tied that whole network of aids to navigation together. You mentioned some of the most charismatic ones like lighthouses and lightships, but also every buoy out in the water that guide, helps to guide ships around and keeps maritime commerce moving. Um, has to be serviced. They need to be repainted. They need to have light bulbs and batteries changed. Um, with the lighthouses, back when they all had keepers, the tender brought the lighthouse keeper all the supplies he needed to not just keep the light, but also to live there with his family. And many lighthouses are only reachable by boat. So the tenders did all the maintenance on the buoys, made sure the lighthouse keepers could do their job, helped the keepers with major repairs that they couldn't do themselves because the tenders had a mobile workshop on board. So it really kept that whole network in good order. And 
it really is vital for ships to move safely around through our coastal waters. Why is it so important that the lilac uh, be preserved? What, what You actually said a little bit about this uh, a little while ago, but why should it be preserved and what, what makes it such a special ship? Well, I said it was the only steam-powered one left. It's also the oldest one surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only three tenders that exist from the U.S. Lighthouse Service, which was a predecessor to the current Coast Guard. Uh, the Lilac was built in 1933, and the Lighthouse Service was dissolved and duties transferred to the Coast Guard in 39. So it's one of very few remnants of that earlier service. Um, it was a civilian service. The Coast Guard is a military service. So the contrast is something we talk about a bit when we give tours of the ship. We we talk a lot about the importance of its navigation because we were talking about that, but a lot of those less charismatic ones, the buoys and the range lights, they are not visible to most people. We get lots of visitors who've never seen a buoy and it's a critical system and we get to tell people about it and about this sort of uh, quiet duty of the Coast Guard that most people don't know about. You've been able to bring back some of the crew members who served on the ship. I was looking at, there are actually some videos on YouTube with interviews and historic footage, which are fantastic. It's like treasure. Uh, are you still hoping to find maybe some more former crew members? Do you think there are some out there? Uh, I know there's some out there. Every year I seem to gain a couple more names, um, and I definitely would like to talk to them while they're still around. They're getting to be quite elderly now, and um, we've lost um, a couple in the last few years um, who I was in touch with. So I, I would definitely like to capture their stories, and if they're out there, I hope they'll get in touch. What has it been like meeting the ones you, you've met already? It must be really exciting. I, I think it is for both. Um, most of them assumed the ship was long gone and scrapped. It was decommissioned already in 1972, so it's been out of service for longer than it was in service. So they're delighted to discover it's still around. A lot of them were very young men when they served on board, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20. Their first job, if you remember your first job, <laughs> it makes a big impression on you. And a lot of the veterans who served during the Vietnam War era joined the Coast Guard to do something for their country that wouldn't endanger them too much. Or their families wanted to make sure <laughs> they yeah. wouldn't be in danger and got them to join the Coast Guard. Um, so uh, I, I think... Not one of our veterans, but a veteran of the Coast Guard from the era said that it was the only service that was trying to save lives instead of take them. Mm. And so from my perspective, I'm expressing our appreciation for their service. And I think there are people who have not heard that much before. That's great. So is, is Lilac fully restored or is there still major work that uh, remains to be done? There's still um, major work to be done. Um, we have been making progress slowly. Some of that's because of funding. Some of that's because it's not so easy to find people with the right skills anymore. And I'm not even just—I'm not even talking about running steam engines. I'm talking about 
ships carpenters even are hard to find and and we're in New York City where it's a major harbor you wouldn't think that that would be the case but it, it really is hard to find people with good um, technical skills in uh, boiler making in steam engines in carpentry uh, in electrical work plumbing so we still have a lot to do um, we have been able to get the two engines to turn over and we um, have started to plan a couple of big projects, including replacing the wooden roof. The skill ship, there's actually a fair amount of wood on it. And uh, we keep on plugging away at it, but there's a lot to do. And it's never done, of course, once you... Uh, no. Get... Yeah. It's like a lighthouse. <laughs> I've been there 10 years and we're starting to have to do things that I already did once. <laughs> yeah, that's the same as a lighthouse. Anything uh, on uh, salt water or, well, it goes yeah. for a lighthouse on fresh water or a boat on fresh water as well. Any Anything in a maritime environment, it's never, it's absolutely never finished. It's just the, the nature yeah. nature of the, the beast. Uh, now, yeah. I, I know that Lilac is, is mostly staffed by volunteers. Uh, what are some of the tasks mm -hmm. that the, the volunteers typically do? Um, well, there's, I guess, three big categories. Um, one is uh, visitor services. The ship's open from Memorial Day weekend to mid-October or so uh, every year. And we're open two afternoons a week. Uh, and all that staffing, except for the supervisor, is volunteers. Um, we have a lot of high school students, actually, who start out as greeters at our gangway. And as they get more and more familiar with the ship and gain experience, they often move up to other jobs. Um, and that can include being a docent, which is a more knowledgeable tour guide who can talk in detail about the systems of the ship. Uh, we typically have a docent on the bridge to talk about communication and navigation and a docent in the entry room to talk about the propulsion. And then in addition to visitor services, we have people doing maintenance and restoration that's some of the skills I alluded to, um, but a lot of just chipping paint and repainting surfaces. Besides the salt water component that you mentioned, extreme temperature changes in a ship that's not completely heated also affects the, the paint. So uh, there's, we have volunteers doing engine restoration, welding, restoring artifacts like a Lyle gun that we were given. And then uh, the third area is administrative tasks, helping send thank you notes to donors and doing data entry to keep our mailing list up to date, things like that. Is there an ongoing need for new volunteers? Oh, yes. We never really have enough, but also people leave for their own reasons. And um, so we always have some turnover. Yeah. And what should people do if they're interested in volunteering? There is an email address we use just for volunteer inquiries, volunteer at lilacpreservationproject.org. Just send a message um, and we'll follow up with you and find out a little more about what your existing skills and experience are, what you're interested in doing. Because um, those aren't always the same. A lot of people who sit behind a desk all day want to get their hands dirty. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to do more desk work. Um, and uh, we'll try to um, accommodate everyone's interest and make use of their skills. Sounds good. 
So lilac is open seasonally, correct? Yes, it's not a, a great place to be in the wintertime, hmm. for one thing. The park that where we're currently moored shuts off water to the ship for the winter, and it's only partly heated. Um, and the days are short. It gets dark early. Yeah. So uh, we always open Memorial Day weekend for the summer. And in addition to that being what a lot of people think of as the start of summer, it's also the anniversary of Lilac's launch on May 26th. So we always have birthday cake the first weekend that we're open hmm. and celebrate the birthday of the ship. Excellent. Well, I live in New Hampshire, so I fully understand, uh, you know, late May being the start of the, you know, the, the summer season. Same thing here. Yeah. Uh, so what should people expect if they come for a visit? Like I said, we have a couple of tour guides in key spaces. Uh, you can walk around really on your own, wherever the doors are open, and you'd get to see the bridge and get information about the systems there. And we have... Um, many layers uh, because they kept on upgrading things in her 40 years of service. You know, it's not all the way it was in 1933. A lot of um, new equipment was added for World War II, for instance. So we'll talk about that. Um, you can walk through the officer's quarters and the wardroom, which was their meeting room and dining room, see the galley, see the engine room, mm -hmm. learn about how the engines worked and how the bridge and the engine room communicate we have a working telegraph, so we actually send signals back and forth. That's very popular. And they'll, they'll learn about what the job of buoy tending and lighthouse tending was. And in addition to being open for regular uh, seasonal hours, are there special events also on the ship? Yes. We, um, we are willing to do private events. I'll just put that little plug in there. But we do have public events uh, probably four or five times during the summer. We'll have a reception to mark a special occasion like National Lighthouse Day. And we have a couple of art exhibits every summer. And we will have a reception to celebrate the opening or closing of our exhibits. And if, if people join our mailing list, they'll get notice about those things. Mm -hmm. You say it's available for private events as well. Does that include uh, weddings? Do you ever have weddings on the, on the ship? We've had wedding receptions functions, parties, things like that as well? Yeah, we've had some birthday parties, and um, we've also held some public lectures, uh, story hours for kids, done a Lego boat building summer camp with middle schoolers. So there's also educational cultural activities that are part of our special events. Okay. Well, it sounds like a, a great setting for any of those things. So uh, I got one more question for you for bonus points here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay, so get ready. What has been your favorite part of your involvement with the Tinder Lilac? I have, I think, had the most fun talking to our veterans mm. and then taking their stories and um, sharing them with the public. I, I really like telling stories. Um, so collecting that, hearing the stories, and then massaging that, turning it into the um, script that our volunteers use when they talk to visitors, um, turning it into interpretive posters and displays on the ship and helping our visitors to understand what these people did and how critical it still is. 
I can easily see how that would be a, a very rewarding part of, of what you do. So that's, that's fantastic. Before we wrap things up, just anything else you'd like to say to our, our listeners? Come on out for a visit. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating ship. I don't think anyone's been disappointed when they visit. And my, all my volunteers, too. We all really enjoy talking about the ship. Great. Well, I'll tell you, it's certainly on my agenda for my next visit to New York City, which I hope isn't too far away. I'm, I'm only five hours from New York City, so I really look forward to, to visiting there next time. So Mary Habstrit, Museum Director and President of the Lilac Preservation Project, thank you so much and congratulations on everything that's been accomplished there. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for, for interviewing me. Spiritual descendants of the lighthouse tenders of the past are the Coast Guard's buoy tenders in use today. In the 1990s, the Coast Guard commissioned a new so-called keeper class of coastal buoy tenders that are 175 feet long. They're named after lighthouse keepers. The keeper class buoy tenders were built by Marinette Marine of Marinette, Wisconsin. They are built to maneuver easily in rough seas, allowing the precise placement of buoys and other aids to navigation. The keeper class cutters, or buoy tenders, are named for such heroic lighthouse keepers as Ida Lewis, Kate Walker, Marcus Hanna, and Abby Burgess. The 225-foot Juniper-class buoy tenders use dynamic positioning to allow the vessel to maintain position within a 33-foot circle in winds of up to 35 miles per hour and waves up to 8 feet. The Juniper-class ships can work more buoys in less time and in tougher conditions than their predecessors. The Juniper, the lead ship of the class, was commissioned in 1996 and is homeported in Newport, Rhode Island. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you are experiencing these symptoms and have come into contact or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult with a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Many thanks to today's guest, Mary Habstrit, Museum Director and President for the Lilac Preservation Project. Again, you can learn more about the tender lilac by going to the website www.lilacpreservationproject.org. There's also a Facebook page for the Lilac Preservation Project. Thanks, as always, to all the volunteers, members, staff, and board members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all its chapters and affiliates. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about the Society and all it has to offer, including tours, preservation grants, the Lighthouse Passport Program, the J. Candace Clifford Research Catalog, and much more. And be sure to check out the U.S. Lighthouse Society on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to follow Lighthearted on Twitter. We have a separate account. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by making a donation to the U.S. Lighthouse Society or by becoming a member. 
Also, if you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this podcast. We appreciate the feedback. And as always, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it Let it shine, let it shine